0: This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of his word. Enjoy the message. So, question for you. This is um, uh, anecdotal research, okay? There is no wrong answer to this. I'm genuinely curious as to how the, uh, the folks in Conduit Church uh, would answer this question. There's, there's, um, and here's the question. When your conscience speaks to you, does it sound like a lawyer? Or does it sound like your grandma? Grandma, grandma right there, honesty. Hey. Let me clarify. If it's a lawyer inside, when your conscience, so you've blown it, whatever, the inner lawyer in you is about right and wrong, right? Good, evil. Guilt and innocence, you're judged according to fixed categories. It's literally like a lawyer. God bless the lawyers. The second is your grandma. And grandma is not about whether it's right or wrong, but about what other people think about it. Okay? And what grandma is saying, like, what are people gonna think? If they know what you did, what are they gonna think? You can't go out in that. Right? How could you look them in the face again? Young man, I grew up in a very small town, so my grandma's voice, young man, after you did all, how could you even look them in the eyes after all that you've done? And then the the most grandma thing ever, shame on you. (laughs) So now, showing of hands. How many of you, when your conscience, again, no wrong answer, and by the way, there's a spectrum. So some of you are like, well, that gum, I got a lawyer and a grandma inside, yelling at me. I don't know which one to listen to. But for the most part, there's going to be like a preponderance. Like so the primary voice is going to be a lawyer, or the primary voice is going to be your grandma. So if you're a lawyer conscience person, raise your hand. Again, no wrong answer. I just want to get a read. Okay. So let's say about 30%, 40% of the room. Okay. All right. How many of you is it your grandma? This is your voice. Shame on you grandma right there. It's your voice in their mind. <laughs> so less than that. So, and then the rest of you, I don't know, maybe it's both of you or you just didn't want anybody to know. Uh, I did a, I did a little survey online and it was actually like 60 to 70% of the answers uh, were the, the lawyer and about 30% were grandma's voice. Now here's why I'm, I'm asking that question because guilt and shame are two different things. And the inner lawyer is about guilt. The inner grandma is about shame. And the cross, the gospel, deals with both, guilt and shame. So if you turn with me to John chapter 19, verses 23 through 24, I want to show you exactly uh, how this plays out. I want to show you today that If you've got guilt or shame, the gospel deals with both of them. If you've got both of them, the gospel deals with both of them. But we're going to start, I'm just going to read a few verses from John chapter 19, starting in verse 23. This is at the crucifixion of, of Jesus. And when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. Now this garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Verse 24, let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot, which is like casting lots, dice, let's say flipping a coin for modern parlance. Let's, we're going to flip a coin to see who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. That's John chapter 19, verses 23 through 25. Now, this that it might be fulfilled. What was it that was fulfilled? Specifically, Psalm chapter 22. If you want to turn your Bibles or maybe make a note, you can go back to that later. But I want to show you that what most of us know in here, that Jesus on earth in his birth, his life, his death, burial, and resurrection fulfilled hundreds of of prophecies, hundreds of them. And the question, of course, is he fulfilled all those hundreds of them, the hundreds that are left yet to go, do you think he's not going to fulfill those? Do you think his promise and his prophecy that I'm going to return, that he's not going to keep that promise? i I think we should uh, both agree that he will. But this is the prophecy, Psalm 22. And if you don't understand Psalm 22, you don't understand John 19. I am poured out like water, verse 14 of Psalm 22. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. And boy, is that dry. A potsherd? <laughs> you could strike a match on it. Anyway, sorry, that sounded funnier in my head and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth you lay me in the dust of death dogs surround me pack of villains encircle me they pierce my hands and feet right thousands of years of without crucifixion and here suddenly this prophecy is happening they pierced his hands and feet My bones are on display. People stare and they gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. That was written hundreds of years before Christ in this exact moment. That is what is being fulfilled. But it's not just God doing a neat little parlor trick, CJ. It's not like, oh, look, I can tell you the future. Sure he can. But the question is, what about the future? Like, what about... Clothes being stripped off of him. What about being thirsty? Like the, the things that are fulfilled, the piercing. What is it? Why are those things the things that needed to be fulfilled? And I want you to know that everything in the Word of God is is there on purpose. There's nothing that is an accident. So it's not him doing just a neat little parlor trick, going like David Blaine on you. This is literally him saying there is something about being stripped of his garments. There's something about no bones being broken, that he was telling a story thousands of years leading up to the crucifixion, that in that moment, the fulfillment of it wasn't just the fulfillment of a prophecy, it's the fulfillment of you, the fulfillment of Christ's work for you. And when we start talking about guilt, shame... That's what's being dealt with here. Now, there's many more prophecies that are being fulfilled here. We're only going to deal with these three. But what happened on the cross, again, was about something specific. And specifically, it was about dealing with your shame, about dealing with your guilt, and about dealing with your sin. That is what was being fulfilled. It wasn't just some lucky day that they happened to be drawing you know, lots for his clothes. There was something, a message that God wanted to tell us specifically about what the cross was for. So that's God's word that we've read. Let's pray as we approach his word that he might speak to us specifically and individually. Heavenly Father, would you give us wisdom this morning for all the inner lawyers and all the inner grandmas for the guilt and for the shame and for the sin that causes it. Lord, would you give us wisdom and insight from your word this morning? We're so thankful for your goodness and your kindness. Lord, I pray that even in this room that your spirit is moving and changing people's lives. thankful for our church families that are all over this area. Today, really, my heart, Lord, just praying for Jay, the church at Station Hill, about to step out of that and fill in for Mike Glenn, the big shoes of Brentwood Baptist Church, but Jay's preaching his last sermon today at Station Hill. Lord, would you bless that church as they're making their transition? Bless... Brentwood Baptists—they're making their transition. There's a voices of truth all over, but that's one today that we just want to ask a specific blessing on them and a specific blessing on us here today. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. When it comes to shame, we all deal with it. Everybody—literally everybody—in this room, and we all deal with guilt and it's caused specifically because of sin in our lives and the cross deals with it specifically now when it comes to shame itself on the cross Christ was literally stripped completely stripped of his clothing hung there, right? He couldn't move, completely exposed, completely vulnerable, and completely shamed. It talks about how they were mocking him. And the truth is, is you could walk by the cross that day and say, well, maybe he's guilty, maybe he's not. But you couldn't walk by the cross and say, yeah, that dude is not being shamed right now. The shame was real on him. There was no question about it. And the thing about shame... Look, I mean, you guys are thinking, especially if you've been around America, he's going to go Brene Brown on me. <laughs> Thank you for laughing at that. <laughs> I'm not, because long before Brene Brown went, pl- uh, whatever, platinum, no, not platinum, viral, sorry, music business, went viral with her TED Talks, the Bible was dealing with it specifically. The Bible was written in a culture that actually was way more about the inner grandma than it was about the inner lawyer, it was an honor shame culture. Now, if you don't know what an honor-shame culture is, if you go back to 1946, America didn't know either. America, for the first time, Western powers were taking their military mechanisms in a guilt and innocence culture against an honor-shame culture called Japan. And we were completely befuddled. We didn't understand kamikazes at all. There was no wheelhouse in a guilt-innocence culture for what would drive someone to literally fly a plane into their own because it's an honor-shame culture. We didn't know that. So they, uh, the Pentagon, hired this lady named uh, Ruth Benedict. She did a a study that to this day is still talked about, about. In fact, the book, it's really, I don't recommend it. It's a dense read and not all that helpful. But what she did do back in 1946 was for the first time identify, at least to Western ideas, the difference between honor and shame. And guilt and innocence. And Japan, most Eastern cultures, including the Middle East, are honor and shame cultures. Now, the difference between guilt and shame is, let's not go Brene Brown on this. Let's go Ruth Benedict. Guilt is about what you feel inside of you. Whether I did something wrong, I am guilty, I feel guilty about it, is about inside of you. Shame is about outside of you. Shame is what other people think about you. And that is what, what's why it's talking about. They mocked him. They threw things at him. And, but here's why it's important that in our culture, not to completely focus on guilt and innocence in a culture. Because in America, we are currently in the process of changing from a guilt and innocence culture to an honor and shame culture. And the internet is in the middle of all of it. Because the internet is no longer about guilt, whether you feel bad about it. The internet has become about shaming you for what you did that may or may not have been wrong, but society or some form of society has now ruled that you are on the outside looking in. And so the shame of that is what is happening in our culture. And if you remember as a kid, if you, do you remember before the internet? Right? So when I did dumb stuff as a kid, and I did, like one time I did something dumb. <laughs> like when I did something dumb, like the people that were there would make fun of you, right? The people that would, uh, that, that saw it happen would, would, whatever. But I didn't have to go home and look at my phone and see the constant barrage of shame continue. If you're a teenager in this room, hear me say, that's not normal. It's not the way it was meant to be that we're living in a culture that's now shifting to shaming you for whether you do what they want or not, whoever they happen to be. And this article, this is from 2015 from Christianity Today. Andy Crouch was doing a story on the difference between honor and shame and guilt and innocence. But one of the things that he points out is what's shifting in our culture is that on Facebook, others' perceptions of us are both public and relatively permanent. You can Google me and find things said about me, especially during the pandemic days, that were somewhat uh, uh, impolite, uh, trying to shame me into things because the internet, so it's out there. It was said, it's permanent. People tag you, people talk about you. And if, listen, and if no one comments, that can be just as much a source of shame. That's from Kara Powell, Powell from the Fuller Youth Institute. This piece was utterly fascinating to realize that in our culture, especially in our young right now, if you're a parent, that your kids are growing up in a different world than you are in. Maybe honor and shame isn't the right language. It might be more like fame versus shame, right? Because honor actually requires a little bit of a relationship, but that's not... Most of the people that are shaming us now with the pitchforks and the torches, they've replaced them with keyboards and mouse pads, Like... To, to, that's what the town hall is. They come in, and, and, but they don't know you. So in the same way they can't, you know, they shame you. They really can't honor you because it is not, a, there's no relationship with that in the same way that in a Middle Eastern culture or Eastern culture, they don't know you with it. But here's what I know. In a shame culture, the Bible speaks very specifically to what we get to do with that Shame. See, the shame that I have carried for most of of my life was, anybody grew up on the wrong side of the tracks? Do anybody even know what I'm talking about? Nobody, literally, I'm in a room full of people, nobody on the wrong side of the tracks? Okay, all right, so you know what I mean. Oh, Angie, you know. Okay, well, I was born, like, on the tracks, right? So I don't even know what that means. Like, literally, like, you, you think I'm kidding, but, like, the train was, like, right on my house. It was like you could reach out and tap it. In fact, one of my son's earliest memories of going home to visit my family was putting quarters on the railroad tracks. Have you ever done that before? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? Smashes them, makes really cool things. So Ethan, like four years old, he still remembers that. But I didn't even know, I mean, I look at that and like there was this shame associated with you couldn't even be born on the right or the wrong side of the tracks. You're on the tracks, right? And so that kind of a shame is the kind of shame that follows you for the rest of your life. And it's the kind of thing that when Jesus says they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment, the question for me and for you is why was it specifically garments that he was speaking of? What is it that he's trying to tell us about shame and the connection with garments? Of course starting with the fact that in the Old Testament especially, the idea of, of, of nakedness is officially attached, specifically attached to shame. When they were in the garden in Genesis 1 and 2, it says that they were naked and unashamed, right? And it was after the fall that they suddenly realized, I'm butt naked. And they're like, I gotta hide. And, and they started, they, it says that they took fig leaves and put fig leaves over their their areas to try to cover them up. And that was how they tried to protect themselves from, from the shame and the, uh, the picture that God shows us in Genesis 3. When he finds Adam and Eve, the question was, why did you hide from me, right? And they said, because we were naked and we were ashamed. And what did he say to them? Who told you you were naked? Who, what lie? Who told you that you were naked? And so... Their response, right, was to put fig leaves on, and the answer was that the enemy told them that because now suddenly shame had entered the world for the very first time. And so they put on fig leaves to try to cover them. They took Jesus' clothes off of him, right, in the same way that in the garden they were naked and unashamed, but now on the cross it is about he is naked and being shamed, now, if you're worried about the world around you, okay, what does the cross tell us then that Jesus' own was dealt with so that we wouldn't have to deal with shame, that we could put our fig leaves down? In our culture, fig leaves look like many things. For some people, fig leaves look like perfectionism. Right. So I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, on the tracks, whatever, so like, literally the rest of my life is trying to prove to the world right, that I am not who they said I am, that I am not. So I'm trying to hide my shame. So for some of you, it's perfectionism. Perfectionism, you know, you might say it's about, I want my house to look nice. And look, there's nothing wrong with the house looking nice. But if your house is looking nice so that you can impress your neighbors and hide behind the fig leaves of perfectionism, I mean, Can we just be honest for a moment? If you're a perfectionist, I get it. And you're driving your wife crazy. Or you're driving your husband crazy. And you're driving your kids crazy. Because in your fig leaf, trying to cover up the shame that you feel, now you're forcing fig leaves on everybody else because it's not about trying to make the house look nice, it's about trying to make, uh, they don't like, I want them to like me, I want them to, to respect me, I want to hide the shame with it. And what we see from this is that my garments, they cast lots for them, is that when you try to hide behind a fig leaf that's temporal, you know what happens when you try to dress yourself with leaves? They wrinkle up and fall off. They're not permanent. They don't last. It's a temporary solution that does, it just puts a Band-Aid over the problem. Now, some of us, this is one that resonated more with me, was about workaholics. Like, I was working for most of my 20 years of marriage before we were almost 30. But the first 20, I was busting my butt, working so hard. Nothing wrong with hard work, Okay? The Bible speaks very specifically uh, specifically about men to work, right? You don't work, you don't eat. But I wasn't working hard to try to feed my family. I was working hard to try to cover my shame. And eventually, what happened to me has happened to many of you, and if you're young, it hasn't happened to you yet, but it will, the leaves wrinkle up and fall off, and it didn't work, and now I've made my wife miserable, I've made my kids miserable, because I was trying to cover with a fig leaf what Jesus wanted to heal with the cross. And we could go down the list, obsessive about how you look, right? Nothing wrong with wanting to look good. Nothing wrong with that at all. Tiffany, my hairstylist, sitting here in the second row, it looks good today. Thank you. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. Someone asked me once if this was a toupee. Like, if I was gonna buy hair, I would buy something a lot better than this. Like, I got you know, this story anyway. But nothing wrong with wanting your hair to look good. But if the way if you're trying to look good is literally about trying to cover your shame. Do you see where I'm going with this? I could go down the list of things, especially in Middle Tennessee. But the fig leaves will fall off, and that's not what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to say, let's let the house look great. We want to work hard, right? We we want to have an excellent atmosphere. I mean, the excellence in this room is an excellent atmosphere, but not because we're trying to cover shame, but because we were healed from shame, and because we're healed from shame, we can have an excellent house. We can work hard. We can do all that, but we're not killing everybody around us because we're not doing it with fig leaves that are going to wrinkle up and fall off. It's with the gospel. They took his garments away from him so that we could be clothed with his garments. Isaiah 61 refers to them as the garments of salvation. Shame is something that God says, Yeah, you've done something wrong, and there is shame attached to it, and shame is an actually a reasonable response to some of the things that we do. But if we're going to live in a culture that bases our entire lives on honor or shame, on being canceled or being not canceled, that's not the gospel. And I don't know if you feel it in our culture right now. If you you own a business, like, you know, Dave, you own a business, and it's online, and there are things that you believe, and you say that you're trying to, you know, with your company alive, and there are things that if you say out loud that you believe, there's a solid chance that the mob's going to come for you, right, (laughs) to try to shame you out of it. That's not a culture we want to live in. And if you are a young person and don't know, just know that this is the ultimate opportunity for you to say, that's not the gospel. It's not the way that Jesus meant it to be. That's not the world I wanna live in. It's not the world Jesus created for me to live in. Why would we not turn to the cross, turn to the Jesus that was stripped away of everything so that we could be clothed in his righteousness? He dealt with our shame at the cross. It doesn't matter what the world around you thinks. Let me say it again. It doesn't matter. A little trick that someone told me a long time ago was, if I'm going to accept negative things from people who don't know who I am, that's just a shame train. Do I need people speaking the truth in my life? A hundred percent. And I have them and they get to speak very truthfully to me, but I'm only listening to people who have an investment in me and know me, not some nameless shame mob. It's only those who have the right because they've earned it because they love and they are, they've proven they can be truthful. Everybody needs a team like that. We don't need fig leaves to cover our shame. We need a team of Jesus people to raise us up out of it. I've said it a million times. I feel like the gospel is not shame on you. The gospel is shame off of you. So shame is about what the world thinks about us. Guilt is about what we think about us. Guilt is an internal thing. It's a lawyer inside of us, and it is a terrible gauge for how to live your life because guilt is the kind of thing that you may or may not feel guilty about what you've done. It's why you've seen trials, right, or you've seen some stuff on TV where someone was convicted of a crime that they committed, but they were defiant about that crime, okay? They were guilty, they just didn't feel guilty. Now, that doesn't mean they're not guilty. It just means they didn't feel guilty. So in the world of guilt, there's this weird thing that happens where on the one hand, you, I may not feel guilty, and I should feel guilty, or there are those tender hearted and kind people. My wife is one of these. I think you would not argue with that. She's very kind and very tender and will oftentimes feel guilty for something she didn't do. do you, I mean, do you find yourself apologizing all the time for something you didn't do? Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. That, that's the other side of guilt where guilt actually is I didn't do anything wrong, but I'm apologizing anyway because I'm just trying to make everybody happy with it. Guilt is a terrible guide because the Bible tells us what is sin and what is not sin, and whether or not I feel guilty for it or not is completely irrelevant. The world is full right now of things that we know to be, from the Bible, sinful, harmful, and what is the world's response to it is let's not call it a sin anymore, so now you don't have to feel guilty about it. In fact, the world, as best I can tell, has never felt less guilty and at the same time, never felt more shame. Because we're worried about the world around us, what they think of us, but we're not guilty because we're not worried about what's going on inside of us. But the Bible has an answer for that too. And that is that the guilt of our sin, the guilt of my sin, was 100% paid for by Christ on the cross. What was fulfilled, right, with his garments being stripped from him was that shame was being lifted from me. And what was being fulfilled here was that my guilt was being dealt with as well. Uh, Verse 28, later, knowing that everything had been finished and so scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of white of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge on it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to his lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he, he gave up his spirit. It is finished. There are things that I have done, there are things that I have said that I am guilty of I have felt the guilt from them. And maybe you feel it as well. But the reason that I feel guilty for it is because I am guilty of it. But what do I do for the rest of my life? I cannot pay back, right, a broken heart. I cannot pay back to the years, even in my own marriage, where I've said or done things to Shannon or didn't say things that I should have said. Like, I can't pay that back. The toothpaste is out of the tube. In, uh, Israeli, ancient Israel culture, one of the things they did that I thought and still think is brilliant is when it comes to a crime being committed, if, if they like steal, let's say Marshall, they stole your bike. Okay. Stole your motorcycle. Let's say stole your, your car. Let's give it a big one. Now if that person is caught unless they're in San Francisco, they're going to go to jail. (laughs) California jokes are still funny. They still got legs. Um, they're going to go to jail. But Marshall doesn't have his car back. They're in jail, but the car is gone, especially if they drove it into a wall or destroyed it. In ancient Israel, the way that their criminal system worked, do you know they didn't have jails in ancient Israel? And they didn't have jails because if you took his car and you broke it, let's say his camel, let's go back a few thousand years, and he killed the camel, they would make the person who was guilty of that crime go and get him a new camel to replace it to try to pay back what he he did because there was a camel for a camel, or as they called it, an eye for an eye, right? The the, the biblical idea of justice is to replace what was taken or destroyed with whatever was taken or destroyed, to replace it. But how do you replace a broken heart? How do you replace devastation in someone's life that you've, and look, everyone, I got news for you, especially you young parents. At some point, your kids are all gonna need therapy for what you did to them. Just get used to that, because unless you're the, if you're a perfect parent, you're good, but as but far as I know, the Bible says there are none perfect, no, not one, so you're, we do, we're all doing a number on our kids, just like your parents did to you, just like the, their kids will do to them, because we're in a broken and a fallen world. So what do we do with that guilt? It's there, the, the, it's, it just is. And the Bible tells us that the only way that that sin could be paid for, the only way that we could even have the power to forgive, because some, like I know I'm kind of being glib, but some of y'all, you've had some really bad stuff happen to you. And at some point, your decision to forgive them is going to have to be a decision and not a feeling In the same way that a feeling of guilt is a terrible way to lead your life, a feeling of forgiveness is a terrible way to lead your life. They hurt me. Yeah, that's why it's called forgiving them, not for earning it back. Like you have to at some point make that decision to forgive. And the way that we can make that decision and the power to make that decision comes because Jesus himself fulfilled it on the cross when he said it is finished. That debt is paid. That's what the word te- telestai means. It is fi- it's literally like paid in full from the Greek language. Most of you know that. That means that your, my debt is completely paid and so is yours. That what was, is what is finished. And from that, I can take my guilt and put it on the cross When he says the Lord is my shield in Psalm 27, that's literally what he means. I'm hiding behind Christ on the cross and the guilt, the shame, it lands on Christ and I am shielded from it, which is why... Once again, it was fulfilled. What was fulfilled? Psalm 22, verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? That's the prophetic prophecy speaking of Jesus. And Jesus, Matthew 27, 46, from the cross says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God's literally turned his back on him so that now God could turn his face toward me and the guilt that I have is now absorbed by Christ himself. If you walk around with an enormous amount of guilt, because some of you have had bad things happen to you, now I'd like to turn it around and say, for those of you that have done things that you regret, turn, you've done things that you've, you feel terrible about. At some point, that guilt will crush your own soul. But you can give it to Christ. Let him remove it from you. And trust that in the sovereignty of God, in the same way that he's forgiven you, he's going to forgive the persons around you. In the same way that he can heal you, he can heal the person that you've harmed. And only in the cross can that happen. There is no other way. It's the only way was that Christ himself, God in the flesh would take that on him and take that into his own. Now the last one is this, sin. So it deals with our Guilt right? The guilt is what's inside of us about ourselves, deals with our shame, which is what the world around us thinks about us. Again, honor and shame culture, that's becoming more and more. In fact, I'm curious if we were to do the kids versus the adults, how many inner lawyers there were from kids versus how many inner lawyers there are from people my age. I would bet that the inner grandma is way higher when it comes to a younger generation because they're being raised in an honor shame culture, not in a guilt and an innocent culture. But here's the thing. It was the sin itself that causes both the guilt and the shame that has to be dealt with. And here's the power of the cross. This is what was fulfilled with Jesus. It says here that in this last few verses that at, the, at that moment of, uh, of when he says, it is finished, te, that he gave up the ghost, right? His head went down. And at that point, It was getting close to Sabbath. The sun was going down. And so they didn't want to have to carry the bodies the next day. So they want to make sure they're dead. And the way that Romans would make sure that the death was final, that they were dead, is they would walk uh, to, to the cross and they would literally break the legs of the person hanging on the cross. They could no longer support their weight and they would suffocate. So they come to the guy on the left and the guy on the right. They break their legs, but they come to Jesus and in the middle and he is already gone. And so the Bible tells us that instead, they're just going to make sure, right? They're just going to make sure he's gone like Darren and an armadillo in the backyard. So they take a spear to ma- just make sure. And from his side, it says blood and water flowed. The pericardial fluid around his heart had ruptured. He literally died of a broken heart. And when that happened, what was fulfilled was this. Exodus twelve forty six, the Passover lamb that the moment of when the Lamb of God, what did John chapter 2 say about Jesus? John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. And so when a Passover lamb was chosen for Passover, and to this day, they're to be perfect, flawless, white, spotless, clean, and do not break any bones. Exodus 12, 46. Numbers 9, 12. No bones were broken. Psalm 34, 20. He protects all his bones. Not one will be broken. Why does that matter? Any anatomy students in here this morning? Where is blood created in the body? In the bones. In the marrow. A broken bone means a broken flow of blood. But because Christ's bones, the Passover lamb, was perfect and not broken, it means that for my sin and your sin, there is no shortage of blood to wash it clean. Perfectly forgiven. Not one drop is wasted. And in perpetuity, while the blood of the lamb in the blood of Jesus, no bones will be broken. That was what was fulfilled Your shame being covered is what was fulfilled. Your guilt being erased is what was being fulfilled. And your sins being 100% washed away by an unbroken flow of perfect blood for you is what was fulfilled with Christ on the cross. And that is what was fulfilled. Not just a prophecy, you are what was fulfilled because he had you on his mind You specifically on his heart and on his mind. DJ, he had you on his heart and on his mind. It wasn't just some mindless whatever. It was my sins very specifically. Every sin I have committed, every sin I am committing, every sin I will commit, 100% covered and washed by the unbroken flow of Christ's blood. And that is the gospel. stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. I guess y'all are missing the game anyway, aren't you? Yes. Do any of you California people even care about the Titans? You're going to have to if you're going to live here. I'm just saying. They're gonna, I don't care, but I have to care. because anyway. Gang, in a guilt and a shame, or I in a guilt and an honor, I'm sorry, in a guilt and an innocence culture, in a shame and honor culture, The gospel speaks to both of those. And if you are sad about the way that our shame culture is taking over right now, can I just encourage you to say that I think that the shame culture is what is going to cause a huge revival in our country. Because looking around, everybody's canceled. I'm canceling you. You're canceling me. We're all getting canceled together. There's no shortage of cancellations. At some point, you're looking at the promises of this honor and shame and going, this is not a sustainable way to live. It's why God didn't set it up like Islam set it up about honor and shame. It was about it is finished, not about it is just getting started. Walk out of here today with that In your hearts and in your minds. Heavenly Father, thank you. I have so much in my life to feel guilty for, so much to feel shame about, but I can take it to you and be clothed with the garments of salvation, Isaiah 61. Not with the garments of my work and my perfectionism and my workaholism, but with the garments of praise, the garments of salvation, clothed with your righteousness. You took my sin so that I could take your righteousness. And from that position, we can work hard, we can do excellent things, we can change the world, but not out of shame and guilt, but out of love and acceptance. Please, Lord, let that fall into our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week, if not sooner.